Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here and... uh, it's not often that we get uh, a guest coming back on the show, but um, and with respect, I, I, I call these people retreads, Paul. <laughs> retreads in terms of <laughs> invitations coming back. But um, it's a pleasure. Twelve months ago, Paul Glover and I sat down and had a great conversation about the hero's journey, and it's an absolute pre- pleasure to have you back, Paul. How are you, my friend? Darren, first, it is a pleasure to be back. I enjoyed the conversation so much that I wanted to come back, obviously. And second, I love the retread thing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm doing well. Thank you very much. 2023 is uh, looks like it's going to be a really good year for me. And, uh, you know, I'm enjoying life. Right, absolutely. And the, the reference to the retread, it's actually a it's a um, it's a nice reference because a lot of people think, oh, a retread, you're talking about am I a tire? Because I work with a lot of organizations then and some of the bigger organizations, and it's probably the same in the States, that um, people leave and particularly some industries, they're they're so small because you sort of move around a little bit and often people come back to the organization after a while. So we call them retreads. Yeah, no, we see, we, we call them boomerangs. 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 See, now, curiously, that that would be a term that I thought you guys would use. But but yeah, we we have boomerang employees who leave and then circle back and come back into the organization. They usually demand more money and get it, but they bring experience with them that they didn't have before. Yes, yes. And often they come in at a higher level, so they can uh, they can actually add more value to the organisation. Now I must I must say I think the reason we don't necessarily call them boomerangs here is that if you speak to most and look at most Australians who throw a boomerang, which by the way is not many, um, they tend to not come back. They tend to stay in the right direction. It probably depends on where they're made. I understand why you don't use that term then. We always assume in America that you guys are all boomerang throwers, right? And you catch it up there in the head. So anyway. That's it. But having said that, if somebody was going to borrow my pen, which they often used to do in the in the uh, in the corporate world, I said, hey, this is a boomerang room. That comes back to me. So, Paul, it's um, it's been. I think we were talking just before we press record. It's been nearly twelve months. I think February last year we had you on the podcast and had a great conversation about um, your background and the role you're doing today as the No BS Performance Coach. And uh, we had a great conversation around the hero's journey and and all all things sales. Uh, love to sort of pick up from where we left off there and talk a little bit about, um, you know, what's happened in the last 12 months. Uh, and hopefully we can get into a bit of a conversation because you've got a um, you've got a very important gig coming up in the next couple of months, which we'll get into. Uh, but before we do, for those who, who are listening to this, who haven't caught up with the episode that we did back on the, I think the 18th or 19th of February, 2022, um, can you just give us a little bit of a, a background in terms of the Paul Glover story and where we are today? Sure. I'd be, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the elevator speech. Uh, <laughs> well, I, uh, I uh, was a practicing, very successful practicing trial attorney in the city of Chicago, but 
uh, I had my blind spots and my triggers that caused me to associate with uh, bad people. And by the way, I, I say that people are like, well, you know, that's on you. Yes, it absolutely was. Uh, I was a bad guy wannabe. And uh, my life led me into an association with a group of people. Uh, and the initiation fee for that group was you had to commit criminal activities. Yeah. Uh, and I did because a part of me wanted so much to belong to this group. Uh, and that's my blind spot. And the interesting thing about blind spots is we don't see them. Mm. Uh, however, everybody else does. And we are subject to manipulation by the people who see those blind spots and figure out what triggers them. Mm. Because the blind spot is, is dormant until it's triggered. And it's triggered by a thought. Uh, that someone expresses, it's triggered by an action, uh, words will do it. Uh, so the person who wants you to act a certain way to manipulate you uh, will find out first the blind spot. My blind spot, it was the desire to belong. I, I really craved that. I came from a broken home uh, and uh, belonging was something that mattered a lot to me. And because of my occupation as a trial lawyer, uh, I associated with bad people. That mm. was just my clientele. They paid well, and I, I represented them well, and I, I was okay with it, right? I was okay with getting somebody who was guilty off if the jury so decided, right? My job was an advocate. I, yep. didn't, I didn't come up with a verdict, and therefore I was all right with that. Uh, if you didn't have enough proof to put my client away, well, you should have gotten more proof. Yep. However, the association was the uh, interesting thing, because obviously, as I represented them, I came to know them, but they also came to know me. And because they were legitimate bad guys and recognized I wanted to be one, because I was, I'm, I, right now, I am not as bad as I was, but back then I was an adrenaline junkie. Trial yeah, lawyers are adrenaline junkies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and when you're not on trial, you don't know what to do with that, right? I mean, it doesn't go away. Mm. You still want the buzz because that's what adrenaline gives you. Yeah. And so these guys provided me with the opportunity to hang with people who obviously were doing things that excited me at a level that I, it shouldn't have. And so the manipulation started. Uh, I was complicit in it. And I ended up committing white collar crimes uh, that got me five and a half years in federal prison. Uh, destroyed my, my law career and uh, obviously uh, had a dread, dreadful impact on my family financially and emotionally. And uh, my wife, who has a backbone of iron, and my two sons, uh, permitted me to remain a part of the family. And after five and a half years in 2001, I came back out into society. And I came out with the, the, with the realization that if I did not change who I was, that I would go back to prison. Yeah. Because the recidivism rate in the United States is 80%. Yeah. So you get out and you know what you do? You go back to the, the environment that, that you live in. And there is no reason for you to change, so you don't. Mm. And that came to me, by the way, I wish I could tell you I was smart enough to figure that out on my own, but I figured it out because I had a five and a half year sentence, actual sentence out of seven that I did. And interestingly enough, after about year two, people that had been there and got out in my first two years started coming back. And that's when the, uh, yeah, obviously you didn't, exactly that's exactly what it was like oh my god you better do something about this because i spent the first two years of prison plotting revenge 
Yeah. On everybody that I blame for putting me in prison. And when people started coming back, I said, you know something, I better take another look at this because whatever whatever they're doing is not working and I don't want it not to work for me. And the self-reflection that I engaged in was important. And, and, and people are in love with self-reflection. Why? Because it's looking in the mirror. Mm. And you're seeing you, oh, wait a minute, look at that, look at that thing that I need to change. You don't see the whole picture like other people see it, right? It's our optics. We have our own filters. And so the self-reflection that I engaged in uh, was useful for a start. Yeah. But I realized it wasn't enough because I wasn't going to change off self-reflection. Mm. I was still all about revenge and how I was a victim. But when I saw people start coming back, I said, you know something, I better, I better take another look at this. And, and I decided that rather than continue to self-reflect, that I would ask someone, people to do something I never asked them to do, actually criticize me. Uh, to, to, because I was terrible about that. If you started off, and by, by the way, a lawyer by training, if you wanted to have a discussion, I was going to turn it into an argument. And, <laughs> and especially and a was, trial lawyer. That's what you're used to, right? Yeah, and I was skilled at it. Yeah. But guess what? You learned pretty quickly that you didn't want to get into a verbal combat with me because I was going to do every, I was using all the tricks of the trade to embarrass you, humiliate you, and beat you. Yeah. And I would do that socially, right? My wife would tell me on the way to a party, here are the things you cannot talk about because I know you're going to generate an argument. And, she, and I would be very obedient, right? We would get in, and by the way, she's a small woman, and after two or three drinks, she had to go to the bathroom. And as soon as she went to the bathroom, I already knew who I was going to go victimize. <laughs> by the time she got out of the bathroom, she would say, you're killing the party, time for us to go. Uh, but I was having fun. That was just fun. So uh, I, I started off, and I asked my wife. I said, I want you to tell me the truth about me. And yep. she said, no. She no. said, if you think I am going to tolerate your reaction to what I'm going to say to you, yeah. I'm not going to do it. Now, remember this. We're sitting in prison in the visiting room. Yeah. And she now, how long is this? Is this two years in? So what? Is this two years in? Or early oh, yeah, in? two years in. And now she visits me once a month religiously. Yeah. And a half hour drive, three and a half hour back every month. It shows up. We spend Saturday and Sunday together, five, six hours mm -hmm. in the visiting room. And in year two, I go, listen, I've come to a, to a revelation that I need to be different. And yeah. I need you to be my, and I, and I came up with the, the term I'll explain, my fool. And she said, no. She said, because you're not willing to listen to what I have to say. Yeah. So I said, look, uh, I, I, I need to do this. And if I don't do this, our marriage is not going to survive and I'm going to get out and I won't change my behavior. Yeah. So I said, so I promise you that I will not react defensively in the moment. And she said, all right. And by the way, she'd been waiting and she let me have it. And I, I had to tell her, stop, stop. I can't, <laughs> I can't handle it. I can't just... Because because Give me one I, at a time. Yeah, you know, be careful what you ask for. Absolutely. And, she, and well, and think about this. I, I emotionally and financially devastated my family, and I'm in prison for five and a half years, and they're struggling mm. to survive on the outside without my income or my support. Yeah. And she's pissed, rightfully so. 
And she says, I love you, but you're a terrible human being. <laughs> you need to understand why. And so we did it. We agreed that first two days, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday was not spent on this. Sunday, she would leave at noon to drive back to Chicago. We agreed that the last hour of the visit would be dedicated to her telling me the truth. Yeah. Because then she left and I would ruminate on it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I would get up, go change clothes and walk around the track. Track mile after mile. I, by the way, I when I went to prison, I started walking. When I ended prison, I'd walked from Chicago going across the Pacific to Paris. I wow. ended up in Paris. That's how many miles I walked. So, but, but by the stress release. So anyway, she laid it on me and she was right. And so over a period of time, I, I was able to accept that these are blind spots that I'm triggered by and it triggers self-destructive and bad behavior. Mm. But I would never have seen those without her. And I then expanded my network of fools to include three very good friends who had the same reaction she did. They came down to visit me and I said, I really want you to do this. And they said, we're not, I'm not going to do that. He said, it's like armed combat with you whenever I, whenever somebody tells you you're wrong. Uh, so no, but I convinced, I gave them the psychological safety to tell me the truth. Then I had to reflect on it. And then I wrote about it and I slowly worked at changing who I was. Mm. But when I got out, I had a different perspective of myself and also about other people. Uh, it was a process. It took three years, by the way. Yeah, and look, most people, well, most, a lot of people spend their entire life going through that process and and maybe never come to the realisation that they need to change. Yeah. They might think that everybody else has to change around them, but they they don't have, they've got this massive blind spot that they just can't see or they don't want to see. By the way, you're describing every leader of every large organization in the world. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 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 when I got out, I I said I you know again, what was I going to do? My law career was crashed. Can't be a lawyer again. Mm. And uh, and I had to do something. And I said, I, I've got a weird skill set now. I've got this skill set of being a storyteller, critical thinker. Uh, because you're a storyteller working with a jury, pretty good emotional intelligence, could read the jury. And I now have this revelation about, about this concept of the blind spots and the triggers that I know because I you know, saw who I, who I associated with in uh, corporate America. Every leader I know reacted just like I did to criticism, became defensive. Uh, people were scared to death to tell them the truth, right? The emperor has no clothes uh, and and would not provide the psychological safety to do that. Yeah. I yeah. said, I, I think that I can do this. And I did. I, I, I said, I'm, I, this is my deal. Uh, when I become a coach, I become somebody's fool. And let yeah. me give you the background. The background is, the concept that I have is derived from mid the Middle Ages, when a king was appointed by divine right by God, and he sat on the throne. And every time we see the king on a throne, at the foot of the throne, we see the jester dressed up in those motley clothes, and they, you know, and they jump up and they sing a song and they tell a joke. And we always assumed they were entertainers. Yeah. The deal was that 
if you challenged any decision the king made, you committed the crime of heresy, mm. which meant you could have your head cut off. The exception to the rule was if you were insane, because if you're insane, you're not accountable for anything you say or do. Yeah. So the deal was the fool became the truth teller to the king, a trusted advisor, because they had the psychological safety to tell the king when they were making the mistake. And suddenly you had a counterbalance to divine right. And that lasted for 1500 years. Yeah. So my thing was, this is, this is something we all need. We need a fool. Mm. Uh, and therefore, I said, I'm going to come up with that as my concept when I begin coaching. And it works. Uh, because first, I'm able to be that and believe it's my job. And second, if you don't want it, then we stop working together. Yeah, so, absolutely. Because you have to be open and the, and the person slash the king needs to have um, the responsibility and the recognition that they have responsibility and they need somebody to keep them on the straight and narrow or somebody who they can confide in. Because the other the other thing about the court jester and the and the trusted advisor is sometimes the king, the senior leaders, CEOs don't have somebody to confide in because they feel very lonely. And that, by, by the way, we say it's lonely at the top and everybody yeah. brings you out, right? It is lonely at the top. Yeah. And yes, uh, you, you, they, you need that. And, you know, I can, there's so many examples. It's, it's crazy. Uh, I look at the war in Ukraine and say, if Putin had actually had a fool, seriously, would you have done that stupid thing? Uh, well, you would hope not, but you don't. What you do is you listen to people who are going to manipulate you for their own ends. Hmm. And they play into that. They know what they know what the blind spot is. Then they do the trigger, yeah. and then they profit by your disaster. Uh, and and unfortunately, that is most of leadership. Man, it's um, it's so true. It is so true. Uh, it, it is so simple. By the way, I love simple solutions. It is so simple to talk about. It is extraordinarily difficult to convince someone to do it. 80% of the people that come to me through referrals for coaching will not work with me because they don't want that. They, they well, say means, they do. Well, they say they do, but they don't really. What they want is they want somebody to tell them how good they are and give them the satisfaction or the recognition and slash the validation that they're, they're a good person, they're doing the right thing. Keep doing what you're doing, that's fine. But as soon as they come up to somebody who's putting a mirror up and actually showing them maybe a different side of them that they've been hiding for many years or didn't even know they had, that's something they can't they can't handle. I find it very difficult to process. Yeah, it, yeah. it actually scares people. Yeah. Because but having said that... Say, when you say, do you really want to know how people see you? Hmm. Not how you see you or how those people who are afraid to tell you, yeah. you really want to see you. And it is scary for them. Small doses. Well, and you need to, yeah, you need to, you need to manage, manage that and know what, what the capacity is of people to be able to take, um, take that in small doses, or some might be able to take it in bigger doses. It reminds me actually of, um, I'm a big fan of John Maxwell and read a lot of his books and listen to his podcasts and stuff like that. And he, he often asks questions of people within his organization, 
hey, what is it like sitting on the other side of me? Which is a really good question to say, hey, give me some, give me some feedback, some unfiltered feedback. But he, as you say, he talks about creating that position of psychological safety where people feel comfortable giving that feedback because he knows that the intention is to develop, not to criticize. And I think my my opinion, my view is that many people in big corporates in particular are afraid of asking that question because of that competitive nature. Because they think, well, if I ask Paul for some feedback, so Paul, what does it look, what does it feel like to be on that other side of me? Chances are that if if I and Paul are in a competitive situation and Paul now has an opportunity to get one up on me, then he's going to use that opportunity, which means he's not necessarily going to be telling me the truth. He's going to be telling me his version of the truth to satisfy his own ambitions, for example, right? So I'm not going to play that game. And you don't, you end up not having a um an, an, an environment that is filled with transparency and authenticity. You have something that's fake. It's just it doesn't work. And they wonder why results don't come through. And you're spot on with that. I mean, what you said is exactly accurate. Now, let me give you an example because obviously when I step into a new coaching situation, I don't know the I don't know the person, right? And yeah. I need to know. So the first thing I want them to do is do that 360 degree review with their team. Yeah. And that that starts that starts the conversation because it comes back and they and I have them do the self-assessment. Same questions, self-assessment team. So let me give you the example that is relevant here, because three months ago, I had somebody who was referred and they came in and they said, absolutely, I explained the process. And they were like, yes, I'm ready for this. I'm ready. Uh, by the way, uh, the most difficult people to coach are successful people. <laughs> right? Because because until they've had the Christ, think about that. I use myself all the time. If I hadn't gone to prison, I wouldn't have changed. Yeah, There was absolutely no reason for me to change. I was digging it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, I was enjoying it. Uh, so yeah, it took prison, that kind of a jolt. Well, I'm not advocating people go to prisons to change. However, we have to have something that starts the process other than my saying, I think you probably have to change. Let's yeah. talk. The 360 is that lever. So here we go. He's good for it. We send it out. It comes through me, of course. And at the end of the day, it turns out that he's, he's a terrible leader. Uh, terrible communicator. Uh, no one knows what the mission is. Uh, he refuses to take criticism. So, of course, I compile this. I send it to him. Uh, we have the discussion comparing what he thought he was. By the way, numerical one to five. He was a five in just about every area. Everybody else, he was a two. Yeah. So uh, he needed a lot of help. And he Ooh. was absolutely shocked, just shocked. And he said, I need to I need to be able to uh, to think about it, of course. So a week goes by, he uh, he contacts me and he goes, uh, let's do the 360 again. <laughs> OK, uh, the, by the way, the deal I've got is we do the 360 at the end of our year of coaching. And based on that, we see the improvement necessary for me to collect 50% of my, my compensation because yeah. I'm based on outcome, right? So 50% anyway. So I go, mm, that's not the program. He says, well, no, we really need to do that. And I said, all right, uh, let's talk because I want you to tell me why. And so he says, well, you know, I kept looking at this and I got my management team together. And I said, you know, we're going to do this until we get it right. <laughs> I was like, dude, this is not working for me. And he did said, you, what? 
I mean, did, I, I said, because you're so fucking dumb, you should not be allowed to lead. Sorry for profanity, but but just slipped out. That's how I was. Did you did you sack him? <laughs> yeah, God, done. Oh, I can't oh believe you can't believe you won't work with me. Work with you? I said you're lucky. I'll come out there and slap you. My God. However, that is that, and I wish I could tell you that that is an exception to the rule. I don't believe it is, unfortunately. And I think that there's been, you know, the pandemic has caused some rethinking. But what I see right now that the crisis is gone, mm. there's a reversion back to the mean. Yeah. And the mean is, I'm in charge, you do what yeah. I want. Yeah. You know, when I was desperate, I would listen to what you had to say. Now that I'm not desperate anymore, how about if we all come back to the office? Mm. Why? Because Absolutely. I like to really watch you. Anyway, so so yeah, I, I I I'm hopeful that there's going to be change, but I don't see a lot of it. Like I said, 80% of the people referred to me. We don't do business together because they don't really want it. The hard work, by the way. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting one because part of it you, you got to wonder whether this is something that people have identified themselves that they that they need coaching or somebody else within the organization. So, oh, I think Paul and mine needs a little bit of an adjustment here. <laughs> I think I might refer him. And they start, they're doing it under sufferance. And I think part of that is a lack of understanding as to what coaching actually is. Oh, so I remember I remember a client years ago who came to me and he had, at the time, he had something like 90, 95 or 96 project managers reporting into him, not direct reports, but within his organization. And I'll never forget this. The very first conversation he had, and he said, he said this, he said, Darren, the whole time we're working together, what I'm looking for is for you to help me to change my team. They need they need an attitude adjustment. They're just not on the same page. And I said, Peter, and I, it's not his real name. I said, Peter, you're going to love working with me, my friend, because here's the thing. The only thing we're going to be working on is changing you, but it's your choice. Yeah. I love that. It, it only took four weeks. And then once one day he turned around and says, you know, it's really funny. The attitude of my team is starting to change. They're actually more productive. They're actually starting to do some things. That they're actually more engaged. I said, isn't that interesting? <laughs> oh, oh, let's draw a line <laughs> between that and this. Yeah, but it is, you're, you're right on. I mean, I, it, and by the way, it's often I'll be hired because there's a diva that the boss just doesn't want to deal with anymore. And yeah. as I talk to the to, to the diva, I'm like, uh, you know, we need to understand why you are the way you are. And he says, because of that idiot that, that's in charge of me. And I'm like, well, let me go have that conversation with him because clearly it cascades down. Yeah. And interestingly yeah. enough, top leaders are usually the last ones that want to engage in coaching, even though they're more than willing to put everybody else in the program. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Because it and it kind of makes sense. And I've 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 intuitively known this for many years that that many leaders in organisations are promoted to a high level of incompetence because their managers or people they brought they brought them into the organisation for whatever reason just hasn't doesn't have the desire, the capacity, the intention to coach them, to develop them. 
to bring them into line in terms of, hey, when you're a leader, when you're responsible for people, just understand this. It's not about you. You're not the most important person. You might be the highest on the hierarchy, but you're not the important, most important person. You're there to serve your team. But I reckon a lot of leaders don't know how to deal with that. So they say, okay, let's put them to the side. or In some cases, let's promote them. So you get these organizations that that pattern gets repeated and all of a sudden you have this ecosystem of dysfunction. And, and people think, wow, I must be okay. There must be nothing wrong with me because look at all my, my promotions. I don't need coaching. You're right. Wow. Successful people are the most difficult to coach. Uh, when they have a disaster, by the way, because inevitably they will, something will happen that, that caused them to fail. Their inability to deal with failure will lead them to coaching. Mm. Now, now that that that's the traumatic event, right? Yeah. Oh my God, I've been successful. Suddenly, I failed. I have no idea what to do about that. I'll get a coach. Yeah. And now we at least have that that seminal event that allows the discussion to start. Mm. Uh, then it either takes or it doesn't. I mean, obviously, yeah. some people it doesn't matter uh, because they'll blame their failure just as I did for the first two years on everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the reality is I don't, I will not accept responsibility. If you can't accept responsibility, you can't be coached. Mm, but but yeah, it's, uh, by the way, coaching is, uh, it's interesting to, when people start, start trying to find out what coaching is about, they have such misconceptions. I had, uh, I had a guy that the, the first session we had at the end of it, he said, well, thank God that's over. I was like, <laughs> okay, uh, tell me what I did. And he said, well, I thought you were going to have me lay down on the couch and talk about my mom. I said, dude, I'm a performance coach. Your mother may have loved you. I guarantee you no one else does. So, so but, the, you know, that was seriously in his head about this. So, yeah, it is. Uh, and I truly believe that, as you described it, Every coach needs to be a fool. I mean, you've got to tell the person the truth. And if they can't take it, that's a different story. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know what you do about it. I know I can't do anything about that. Well, I think um, and 12 months ago, we spoke about the importance of the hero's journey and the fact that every single one of us on the planet are in some at some stage of our own hero's journey. And sometimes we'll be crossing the threshold, going back into the old world and not wanting to jump into the new world. And stuff like that, but um, I think a lot of people uh, are just afraid of 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 the unknown, and they don't know what what coaching is, or or you know, what is it going to mean? Do I have to fundamentally change? Do I have to do I have to reveal all my inner secrets and things like that? And the problem is, there are a lot of coaches out there, and I'm not going to disparage any specific people, but the misconception around coaching, I think, is that a coach takes you from here to hear. So it's almost like the zero to hero sort of transition, right? And I, I, I'm at pains to explain to the clients that I work with, hey, it's not about changing you fundamentally that you're a completely different person, that you're now going to be a superhero if you haven't been. So, you know, Clark Kent to Superman, it's not jumping in a telephone box and all of a sudden you come out with a cape. It's the small things you do over time that will lead to sustainable change. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be just a simple thing. So we talked before about blind spots. Each of the, all of us have them, right? Now you might have some massive blind spots, and the and the thing is, those blind spots might be causing you some significant pain, which you're oblivious to because you're in some form of comfort zone. But if I can actually identify small blind spots that you can make some incremental changes and see tangible benefits through that change, 
And guess what? That can lead to bigger change. So it doesn't have to be this massive transformation. And I think my my view, and this is just my view, a lot of coaches out there try to, through their marketing ploys, hey, I'm going to take you from zero to a million bucks a year in five minutes flat. And they think, wow, this is fantastic. And when it doesn't happen, they think, what's going on? I thought you promised the world. So there's this misconception that uh, that a lot of people have around around that. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Oh no, you're you're absolutely right. And first, I don't sign anything shorter than a 12 month uh, coaching agreement because yep. I've figured out that it's going to take me that long to actually help you, and it's helping you. I can't I can't change you. I can't. Mm. But the motivation. I can't. I can't even motivate you. You've got to do that yourself. I will give you every opportunity to understand why. Mm. But but we, and we're we're working our way towards a 12 month progression. And, and by the way, I'll mention it one more time. I've got my skin in the game, which to me is very important. 50% of compensation is based on outcome. So I'm going to really work hard with you. I'm not going to yeah. give up on you, but I, you have to be in the game too. That's why I collect 50%, right? Mm. Because otherwise I can end up with zero with someone who's like, nah, not going to do anything. Uh, but you mentioned the comfort zone. I find that so interesting because the concept is that's exactly what coaching has to do. Put you out of the comfort zone into the learning zone. Right. Yep. And, and everybody wants to skip that and move to the next level. And there's this learn first, you have to unlearn before you can learn yes. something new. And that that requires that you actually understand why we go through the process. And also shoving somebody outside the comfort zone makes them freeze. There is no way anybody is comfortable with that. So you you do baby steps and you are there with them as the support system. Mm. You give it, they, they've got to understand the reason for this. And then we go through the process of unlearning and then we start learning. Yeah. And people, that's a slow process. And oh, you're for right. some, for uh, some promising, of promising somebody fast results out of coaching is doing them a disservice. Absolutely. And look, because people, many people are at different levels. They're at different levels of their performance. They're at different levels of their um, of their self-awareness, uh, all the other things that we sort of measure as as leaders. But as you were talking there, I'm thinking, okay, that is 100% true. Our job as coaches is to move and encourage people outside of their comfort zone, but also recognize the fact that many of these people don't have somebody who has been their support person unconditionally right there's or and when you think about people within their own organization there's always some form of ulterior motive because they're connected through they might be in the same team they might be in the same line of management they might be selling the same product the same service they might be incentivized the same way there's always something that connects them to a bigger picture in terms of the organization from a coaching point of view there is none of that other than hey there's an agreement that we're going to work together and there's going to be a transfer of of you know compensation for that but it might be the for many of them it might be the first time in their life or certainly in their professional life where they have somebody who is there unconditionally to tell it like it is and to give them that unfettered feedback that perhaps nobody's had the courage to do but we're doing it from the best intention because it's always to help them develop but it's their choice as to whether they are going to develop. 
and if, and yes, you know, obviously you're a great coach. I can tell just because we agree. So, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I had I had a client who who gave me what I think is my best descriptor. He said I asked for a uh, I asked for a reference, and he said, "Sure, I'll give you a reference, and I'll tell you I'll tell you the first one he gave me in a minute." But but the one that I that resonated was he said, "Paul is a Sherpa." He will he will find the path to take you on to the mountaintop, but he will not carry your pack. Nice. And that's where the difference is. I, I am going to be there with you. I'm going to guide you as much as I can based on my experience, uh, my skill set. And, and we're going to get to the top, but you're going to have to carry your pack because this is not an easy journey. And I think that that's the deal, right? Everybody does want the magic pill. I do. Uh, they do want, yeah. They give me, give me, give me the thing. No, no, we're not, we're gonna find the thing, but we're gonna do it together. Believe me, it's not gonna be the thing you think it is. So, so it is a process. And when I, like I said, I describe myself that way now because it feels like that's the journey to me. Yeah. And the yeah. hero's journey is a part of that, right? <laughs> and my contention with successful people is even if you haven't failed, what you, you know, because I've, and I, I believe it was, uh, gosh, I don't know, now I don't remember who said, what got you here won't get you there. If you want to continue to be successful in a fast changing world, you cannot believe that the, the skill set that you have is going to move you to that next level. If you're ready to quit the game, yeah, just, just quit. Otherwise, yeah. you have potential that's been untapped. Absolutely. But Absolutely. Let's tap some of that and, and you will see the difference. Plus, I will make your life better because you're going to learn how to get along with people in a different fashion. And it's going to be OK, because yeah. you mentioned something, Darren, that's absolutely true. I believe that every leader has gotten to become a leader through the competitive process. Right. They have done turf battles and they've done resource battles and they've done people battles. And they've because we always we always talk about we always talk about leadership in the context of war, don't we? we do. It's a battle. Right. I'm fighting the competition. I'm fighting the. Well, and by that time, you've got it in your head. That's how I'm succeeding. Mm. Oh, my God, that is so tiring. I have no idea. That's why they that's why leaders wear out. You can't possibly maintain that that thought structure forever. You can't. It's nice. not possible. And then and today the crisis just keep on coming faster <laughs> and faster. And your ability to maintain that warlike attitude doesn't work. Command and control, you just got to put it away. It, yeah. it doesn't function properly. Particularly if you're at your inner inner being, um, if that's against your natural state or your natural approach. Because you because a lot of leaders have to, they almost take on this archetype or this persona that I have to behave like this because that's what the environment determines. Now, I'm all for being like a chameleon within the environment, but not at the expense of being your authentic self. So if you're not a natural, you know, war-driven type of individual, you know, every single conversation is not a battle, which kind of brings me to the point around the importance of, and I'll, I'll get into the, the TED talk you're about to do, um, in importance of surrounding yourself with good people. Now, do not surround yourself, and this is a this is a lesson for all leaders listening to this. Don't surround yourself with people who are like you because you'll develop a very one-dimensional. Uh, one-dimensional team and your blind spot will just become 
massive because you're going to have people who are just going to agree with you. Find people who are different to you. Find people who uh, have a different perspective. And to your point, identify some fools. Oh, but you're spot on. I, uh, diversity, as much as, by the way, old white guys hate diversity. They just <laughs> do. They want young white guys that are just like them. The problem is they bring, they are the people who know, see the blind spot and exploit the blind spot. Diversity is huge because it provides you a different perspective. Mm. If you're open to it, you see the value of that and it changes the dynamics of the team and the organization and it makes you more successful. I, I swear it's a, it's amazing to me how there's op, it's just so much opposition to diversity. We all, by the way, everybody's learned to, to say yes. Mm. But but when you when you look around the management table, it's like, well, I understand what you said. By the way, what have you done about it? Well, if I could only find a qualified person, <laughs> where are you looking? Well, you know, the Harvard graduate class. I just, seriously, dude, you got to anyway. Yes, it is. It's frightful. Uh, better than it was, by the way. And, and but but that, you know, something I look at, I, I love Gallup and and I look at their engagement engagement survey every year, and you know what? The level of engagement never gets any better. We now call it something different. Doesn't matter. Quiet quitters have always been with us. They continue yeah. to be, and we we somehow uh, ignore the fact that doing the same thing over and over again is suicidal, mm. and you need to stop if you truly want to advance. If, if leaders would recognize the potential in a diverse workforce, it's extraordinary. I see oh, it absolutely. all the time. Absolutely. The guy who's working the front line knows more about improving the process than you ever will. And yet you will never ask him because what does that dummy know? He doesn't have a degree from Harvard. Let me tell you, he does the job and he can do the job better. And by the way, once he's convinced that you don't like him, yeah, you watch what he does to the job. Oh, absolutely. It's oh, like I, um, and I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking that is that is one of the biggest blind spots, but it's not blind because they see it in front of them. So maybe it's, I don't know how you, what you call that. It, it is a blind spot, but it's right in front of them and they can see it, but they don't do anything about it. No. Is that just idiocy or what? Well, I, by the way, my wife got me a plaque and said, I'll be nicer when you get smarter. So, so I, I believe that. I believe that I, and look, I can't coach stupid. I don't know anything. <laughs> That's can. right. Uh, I can coach a lot of things. I can't coach stupid. And if you say, no, no, I'm just going to keep being stupid. I'm like, well, we know we need to end the relationship because I can't do anything for you. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes first comfort zone. This is my comfort zone. And staying in the comfort zone when I when when you know you need to move out, you need to leave. See, that is an act of stupidity to me. Absolutely. And Absolutely. it is is it hard? Absolutely. I give you credit for being hard, but I also know it's necessary. Yeah. And by the way, if you're if you can't do it, get out of the way. And of course, mm. nobody ever gives up power easily or or willingly. They have to be forced out. But Correct. but the reality is, yeah, at some point you're you're showing everybody you're you're not capable of leading. You need to leave. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um everyone need, everyone needs a fool in their life. Yeah. 
TEDx coming. Whereabouts are you speaking at TEDx in April? I, I'm speaking at a uh, community college outside of Dallas. Who has, you know, by the way, when I got that, I was like, community college, really? Uh, 41,000 students. Wow. I was like, I'm speaking to a village. So that's cool. So yeah, April the 6th, uh, I show up. Uh, and of course, the topic is everyone needs a fool in their life. And, uh, and it talks about my personal experience. And it also talks about what you have to do to know that you need a fool. Also, how you find a fool. Mm. And then the most important thing is, once you see the value, you need to become a fool. Yeah. Because yeah. I believe that whether it's it's in business or it's just in life, we all need someone that will tell us the truth so we don't self-destruct, so that we don't hurt other people. So we've already we've already talked about that to some degree in this in this conversation. But just for the people who perhaps are uh, I don't know, they maybe fast they fast forward to this part or they've been, they've been doing something else. <laughs> so they've been listening. Um, we I think we need to define fool because sometimes when people hear the word fool, they think um, idiot, somebody who's not trusted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So let's 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 really define what fool is because it's it's a very specific character type that all leaders need in their environment in order to be successful, sustainably successful. So how do we define fool? What is what is a fool? Well, and first you're right. It, it requires definition because people have an adverse reaction to that. You know, I've had a couple of people who say, well, I don't know how your wife tolerates you calling her a fool. I said, because you don't know how important she is to me. And the reality, again, back to the medieval king and the person who was given the psychological safety to be a trusted advisor. Yep. And by the way, the, the, the trusted advisor means I have to respect you. Right. If you, if you can't be a trusted advisor to me if I don't respect you. So yep. it is a sign of respect and it's a sign of of acknowledging your experience. Uh, perhaps your thought process, perhaps your uh, your 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 emotional ability uh, to connect, that allows me to come out and ask you to perform a task that you know is going to be difficult mm. and unpleasant. Uh, but it to me, it's it's again, I, I relish it. In fact, uh, one of my uh, my memes when I have a, uh, a response to an email, uh, I, it actually has the fool's hat on my head, right? It's one of those things because I recognize that's my my work and, and I, I enjoy it. But the concept of I believe you're wise, otherwise I wouldn't come to you. Mm. I, I believe that you're authentic. Yeah. I believe you will be vulnerable with me. I believe you will be empathetic. And I believe you will be patient. Yeah. You will not be deterred because the journey, the, the transformation journey that we talk about here is, is patience and consistency, persistent movement forward. And there is always regression. Mm. So when I look at my fools, they have all of those characteristics and they care enough about me. To, to be willing to endure the resistance and the defensiveness that we normally, it's a knee-jerk reaction for mm. all of us, right? Very few people don't have it. When we yeah. are criticized, we become defensive and we knee-jerk react 
in within that context of defensiveness and then we want to fight we want to argue we don't want to listen and the fool is so valuable because they are willing to tolerate that and still care enough about us to help us yeah and that's that's that must that's got to be the the most important element it's the care the intention to the point where um, I mean, they are they are a trusted advisor. And look, I'm doing some work with an organization where we talk about, you know, trusted advisor status and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's a throwaway line, but it, but when you think about it, it's the it's what a fool is. They're they are an advisor to a leader who is trusted, not just to say the right thing, it's to say what needs to be said. And yeah. knowing that there's no judgment. Because every comment, every bit of feedback, every action is done to help help that leader become better because they know it's going to be for the greater good. And when you think about what the kingdom is all about, it's maintaining the greater good of the kingdom, not the king. And right. so if they had if they had somebody who couldn't give feedback to the king, the, the kingdom would crumble because it's actually, and this is this feeds in beautifully with the thing that I talk about a lot with leaders, and that is as a leader, it is not about you. You might have the mantle, you might have the prestige, you might have the status, you might have the position, but it's not about you. And a good king, a good leader knows that it's about the kingdom and they know they have to have somebody as their right-hand man to give them um, feedback, to give them direction, give them counsel, get be, be, be counsel and give counsel. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, and 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 you're 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 spot on with this because it is the collective. Yeah. But that's what we deal with as leaders. We deal with the collective. And you're right. So many leaders suddenly start believing it's about them. And the reality is, success of a collective does not have the the leader can claim it. They don't generate it. It's generated by the collective. Mm. And yes, you need to then say, and and I. I by the way, servant leadership kind of bugs me. I don't, I don't like the way it sounds, but that's my old thing, right? I don't think you have to be a servant, but 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 you are, you know, you are a person who takes on the mantle of caring about the collective. Yeah, and that means you do some hard things, right? It's not easy, and no one said should should believe it is. Mm. But but you also have to have have to have the perspective of the collective. And, uh, and, and and I don't believe in the hive mind. Uh, I think that I think that it's just the opposite of that. That ability to hear somebody else's opinion, uh, to to know what they have to say, because in certain instances they know more than you do. And yeah. I think for some leaders that that is frightening. Oh, absolutely. It, but but when you think about it, I thought that the the pandemic did one thing. The pandemic was very interesting to me because it certainly showed how a different concept would work because it pushed decision making out of necessity down to the front line. Mm. They were the ones that suddenly were making the decisions just to keep the organization going. And the leader suddenly was removed from that process because distance, the pandemic, everybody at home, you yep. couldn't do the same way. Uh, and I thought that this is this is this seminal change that matters. Mm. However, <laughs> people with power don't want to give it up. And again, the disaster requires it to survive. But once you're out of survival mode, you revert back to the mean. And yep. right now there's a battle going on about whether or not 
it has to revert back. Yeah. Uh, and I think with leadership and with coaching, the concept of 12 months is it gives you the opportunity to change the mean. Mm. And, and if you don't have that amount of time, believe me, the reversion back happens pretty quickly. Yeah, I, 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 I do not golf. Uh, I think it ruins a good walk. But, but uh, I, when I talk to people who are avid golfers and they want to get better, the first thing they do is they go to a pro. Yeah. And they go, I want to get better. And what does the pro tell them? You need to change your swing. And you will work with the pro and you'll swing and you'll you'll correct it, you'll correct. Then you go out on Saturday with your foursome. And of course your game is crap because you're trying a new swing. And you have three other guys in first golfers bet all the time. So they're taking their money based off of your poor play, but they're also giving you advice. Oh, I don't, you know, if you just would do that, but, but, and, and by the way, then you go back to the pro. That after about four weeks, you're like, screw it. I'll just go back to my original swing because I can't stand my ineffective. That's that's when most people give up. Yeah. If you stick with it, at some point it clicks in and your swing is better, your game is better, your performance is better, you win more. Absolutely. It's just it's just going through the process. Absolutely. And you've got to and you've got to maintain the rage. And that is maintain and focus and make a decision to stay the course yep. because change for some people change is not easy oh. and change people like to uh to think that you know oh, i can change i can do this no no sustained change takes work and most of the work is going to be on yourself not going to be on somebody else so mate as we um as we wrap up uh some advice for people because i think the concept of the fool in your life is a really interesting one and, and, and something that all leaders should be seriously thinking about um, for people sitting there thinking, well, how do I identify fools, right? So are there any are there any ideas, any advice you can give to leaders in particular who perhaps looking at their own environment thinking, I can't, I don't know where to grab or to identify these people. Any I, any I, ideas on that? I have a workbook. <laughs> <laughs> I have a workbook that says, here is what is the concept, here's how to find one. Here's how to work with one. Here's how to become one. Cool. So there's a workbook that'll be on the website. It's at the uh, it's at the graphic designers right now. Hopefully within the next thirty days, because in preparation for the TED talk, yep. I felt I should have something that people can do exactly what you just said, Darren. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's a fantastic concept. But how do I actually do this? Uh, how can I start it? Uh, and I, I want to have a uh, I want to have that workbook available, and it will be uh, prior to the TED talk, so that people can go to it and go. I, if, here's here's the plan, the, the action plan that I can use if I want to do this. Yeah, cool, brilliant. All righty. So um, for people that want to connect, know a bit more about that, and maybe go on. I don't know, a waiting list to get access to the workbook. <laughs> that would be um, fantastic. Where where can they go, my friend? They can they can contact me at Paul at paulglovercoaching.com. As with everyone else in the world, I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> and of course, my website is paulglovercoaching.com. Cool. And they'll be able to go there. Uh, hopefully, like I said, within 30 days, the graphic designer will have finished because I'm all, you know, I just scratch, 
All I do is scribble things down and give it to someone else to make it pretty. Uh, so, uh, so it'll be on in the next 30 days. And obviously, it will be free. Just come and get it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Awesome. Mate, hey, it's been uh, it's been too long. I can't believe it's been 12 months, but it's been um, – it's like we kept talking. It's like we never left talking. <laughs> <laughs> Those continuing conversations are fantastic. <laughs> they are. Hey, um, thank you. Thank you again for – plugging into this particular particular episode love you love you the fact that you're sitting in uh well, i think we worked out minus eight degrees celsius weather in chicago well i'm sitting in plus 35 degrees celsius you know, here in Australia. No, reason, no reason to be cruel <laughs> no no but that's that's the beauty of technology and the beauty of things like zoom we can talk to people face to face on the other side of the world and Absolutely. on different days <laughs> That too. Thank you very much, Darren. I've appreciated and enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Paul. And I'll put that information on the uh, in the show notes. And closer to the date of the six, I'll also make sure we put up a um, an advertising blurb because uh, people around the world who are listening to this podcast who want to get a copy of, no doubt, the TEDx will be will be recorded and um, we'll make sure that we put some links on different platforms as well to this, to see it. So looking forward to that. And um, mate, thanks again for, for jumping on the podcast. Greatly appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Much appreciated. Thank you, Darren. Awesome. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.